swing first, swing second, swing third, walk slowly back to the dugout with a very sad look on your face. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, Jordan Lyles' realtor, my brother Mike. Hey, I got a lot of hot properties for him. Outside the Kansas City market, all of them, but uh, boy, you don't want to pass up on these buttes, okay? <laughs> My thing is, if you're Jordan Lyle's realtor, you're rolling in dough. What, does he play for like six teams or something like that? Like, I have no idea. And then <laughs> I think the prospects of him playing for a different team are, you know, at least in his future. Uh, honestly, uh, there are people talking about him being traded. I think that's ridiculous and hilarious, um, but also uh, I just think that, you know, he's going to be here for two years-ish and then bye-bye. Bye, Jordan Lyles. Uh, I, I feel a little spicy today after today's game, Mike. And so I, I decided to get a little hard hitting today. So if, if, if you're a sensitive of the ear, if you are easily a pearl clutcher, this may not be the episode for you. Okay. Uh, a reminder though, to follow us on social media, if you're into depraved insanity and Royals analysis, Mike is running our threads account now. Uh, so yeah. make sure you're following him on threads. Uh, who knows what he's putting out because you know, yeah, it's a it's a, it's a wild wild time over there in Threads. It's the wild west, but we'll see uh, if uh, if the FCC shuts him down or if he ends up in jail for that stuff. We'll see. You know, on this week's episode, we'll break down an abysmal week from the boys in blue. Abysmal week from the boys in blue. We'll discuss the scuffling offense because I feel like there's some interesting notes to make there about sort of what the offense is versus what we all sort of hoped it would be. And then we'll break we'll preview this week's games because uh, you know. They're going to keep playing despite the fact that they are awful. Uh, but first, <laughs> turns out if you can't win, they still make you play. <laughs> they still make you play all 162. I don't get it. It's like, don't we know what this is, right? Like, that's an interesting model for baseball is like, hey, the worst two teams just get cut. They just don't get to keep playing. Uh, you know, those guys don't get paid. Uh, you know, I, we did have a review I wanted to share uh, from... Uh, Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. You're giving us a positive rating on uh, Spotify and all the other apps. We really appreciate that. This one comes from somebody named Shady Tomb. That that they probably watch a lot of Royals baseball with that name. Uh, and the review's title is "Best Royals Podcast." I I agree with you, Shady Tomb. Uh, it's, it just says "Grace, great hosts. They keep it entertaining." Uh, so yeah, hopefully that's that's our goal here. Let's make it fun while we're talking about the worst team in baseball and uh, one of the worst teams in baseball history. You might as well keep it fun. You yeah. know what I'm saying? We've always said you got to laugh because the alternative is crying and I don't want to do that. So what I do want to do is give you an ad for All In Physical Therapy. Royals Weekly is brought to you by All In Physical Therapy. For one-on-one personalized physical therapy, we choose All In Physical Therapy. They took excellent care of our mother. After surgery left her with pain and limited mobility in her arm, she loves to work out, be active. If she ever met Thor, she'd shove that hammer right up as what's it. The excellent specialized care she got it all in physical therapy had her back to being active in no time. Probably choke him out with that adorable little cape he wears too, or with his own hair, maybe. Uh, It's funny. I wrote the jokes. I still find them funny. Uh, All in physical therapy knows how to help athletes recover. It's owned and operated by Lee Summit's own Tommy Freevert, a former Arena League football player, Northwest Missouri State Bearcat, and a hell of a guy. They have offices in both Blue Springs and Lee Summit, so get get over there to work with Tommy. 
Tell your doctor you want to do your physical therapy with the best of the best at All In Physical Therapy. To learn more, give them a call at 816-427-5300. That's 816-427-5300. Or visit their website at allin-pt.com. That's A-L-L-I-N-PT.com. We'll start a review of last week with roster news, as is a tradition. There was a, a little bit of roster news at the very least, and some guys moving up and down and coming back from the IL and so forth. Uh, we'll just start with what happened at the beginning of the week, and that is the Royals optioned one of my sort of uh, favorite prospects. I guess, I don't know, he's, he's my guy. I like him a lot, mostly because I have a really good nickname picked out for him. <laughs> and, it's, uh, and I think he brings a lot to the table, but I also have a really good nickname picked out for him, Mike. Um, so, Mike, the Royals option. Do you is, care to share that nickname? <laughs> I, yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, so it's Samad Taylor. The Royals option Samad Taylor back to AAA. So he's down in Omaha and has been basically all of last week uh, getting at bats in there. He's hit well, too, since he's been back down. The nickname I have chosen for him is Samad the God. Right. Okay. That's too easy. That's though. great. That's it's too not too easy. easy. That's perfect. It goes with all the rapper names now. There's like Sham God God or whatever. I don't know. They're all their names anymore. But uh, yeah. So anyway, Samad Taylor was optioned. Mike, what are your thoughts on him going down to AAA? Um, you know, it's, it's probably necessary for the way the roster is constructed right now, but I'll be excited because I think he's probably going to get at least one more chance this year to come back up and get some at bats. And that's really what he needs. He needs at bats at the major league level to uh, acclimate to major league pitching or to see if he's going to be able to acclimate to major league pitching so that he can be a, a utility role guy for this team moving on in the future. I think he can be that, but you ha- he has to prove that at the major league level. Um, so hopefully later in the year, we, he gets the opportunity to do that. Yeah. I still have a lot of hopes for his ability to contribute, to be a guy who in that super utility role as a second baseman or left fielder, or maybe even center in a pinch or something like that. He could maybe play four to five days a week if he hits enough, right? The question is, is he going to hit enough? How much is he going to hit as a major leaguer? He's a little too aggressive at the plate. He likes to swing a little bit, uh, has trouble getting deeper into counts and that sort of thing. But if he can work on that, if he can develop his approach at the plate and be a guy who hits 270, 280 at the major league level with the way he takes walks, strikes out a little too much, hopefully he cuts back on that. But a lot of contribution on the base path, a lot of contribution defensively with his defensive versatility. I'd love to see him come up and contribute for the Royals. There are some guys I can definitely think about who could probably use some AAA time. They could swap places with him at some point, but we'll see on that. The Royals also brought back Edward Olivares from the injured list. Mike, what are your thoughts on getting Olivares back? Getting him into this lineup, we're about a week and a half. We're about 10. I'm bad at math. I'm so bad. Uh, we're about 11. <laughs> no. <laughs> we're like eight days away eight from days. the trade deadline. My math skills. I'm looking at the data nine, here. I like think, actually. Nine. Seven, eight, nine. We're seven, eight or nine days away from the trade deadline. Alvarez <laughs> is back in the lineup. Mike, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, he had a good week this week, and let's hope he shows out again next week. Uh, that's, you know, I, th- I think teams already know what he is offensively and defensively, honestly. So I don't know that anything he does or doesn't do will affect his trade value. Um, but teams are going to want to see that he's healthy and that he's hitting and he can do that easily in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so if the Royals are going to trade him, he, they, that's still a very much a possibility with him back off the aisle. Um, so yeah, I, I, you want to, yes, the lineup needs it because he's, he's, a known entity, you know, he's going to produce offensively, especially against lefties. And this lineup needs any help that it can get. But um, I'm, I'm more in the idea of let's make him and, and another uh, person, a nice trade piece so that we can get something back in return because this team's not winning more than 50 games anyway. So. And here's the weird thing, right? Like 
I think you're right. I think everybody knows what Edward Olivares is, and I don't think that there's a great potential for him to get any better. I think he is what he is offensively, which is like a 15 to 20% above league average hitter, a guy who can really do damage against lefties. And then he is what he is defensively, which is among the worst outfielders in baseball. And so you know what he is. So his value is only going to diminish as years of control go further and further down, you know? And so he's got, I think, three years of control left after this one. And so go ahead and move him. I mean, you know, package him with a reliever or, you know, whatever. But now's the time to get what you can for Eduardo Alvarez because he just doesn't fit this team very well. He doesn't fit a huge outfield like Kaufman very well. He needs a smaller ballpark where he doesn't hit, where his defense won't be such a liability. He needs a different kind of lineup where they don't need to rely on him so heavily. Uh, and, you know, I think the Royals have plenty of other options in the outfield like Samad Taylor, like Drew Waters, like MJ Melendez, like so many other guys uh, that uh, perfectly fine to go ahead and move out of The Royals also put someone on the IL, and that was Daniel Lynch. He went on the 15-day IL with left a left shoulder strain. Like, what are your thoughts about seeing Lynch go down for a couple of weeks at the very least? Well, not not surprised that he's going down. He In that last start especially, you could notice a, a significant dip in his fastball velocity. You know, he's had a shoulder issue already this year, though the team is saying this one is not related to the last one. But it's concerning somewhat because you need to see Daniel Lynch out there. You need to see him pitching not only to to be able to tell if he's going to be what somebody who can contribute to the rotation down the road, but you need to see the things that Daniel Lynch needs to work on. You need a, as much data in the second half from Daniel Lynch that you can get and him missing starts is not how you're going to do that. So uh, he needs the experience. The team needs to see him and it sucks that he's going down because you know, you want to see him continue to work on things. Uh, I, you and I have, are both now on the record saying, even when the fastball was thrown, thrown in the, you know, somewhat mid nineties, it still wasn't good enough. And so he definitely can't dip into the low nineties and have that be an effective pitch. And so, yeah, I would love to see him in the second half. Once he gets back, try some different things with the fastball, whether that's going to be cutting it, whether that's going to be, you know, maybe trying to get a little two seam, the two seamer going something. Something has to change to make the fastball better, or he's going to be the same pitcher he's been for a while. And we've seen this pitcher player development team get more out of guys' fastballs. That's a thing that has happened over the course of time. And so it'll be interesting to see. I don't know that it'll happen in season. Guys are so hesitant to work on things in season. Lynch seems resistant to acknowledge the fact that he needs to work on stuff. And so might we be hitting another Brady Singer situation where a guy's really resistant to coaching? I don't love that. Uh, I predicted it. And I'm going to take a victory lap here uh, for it because I got completely shit on by the Royals fan base, by some of the Royals media, because I was too pessimistic about Daniel Lynch. And uh, no, I was dead on the money is what I was about Daniel Lynch. He didn't realize that his stuff needed to improve. It hasn't improved. And as a result, he's been uh, pretty much crushed this year. Um, and so hopefully he feels better. I don't like a guy being on the IL. And you're right. We need as much data as we can get from him so we know what to fix in the offseason. But I hope he approaches this offseason with a much different disposition and mindset than he approached last offseason because his mindset needs to be, boy, my stuff needs to get a lot better. A guy whose stuff really has no chance of getting any better, but in its prime was as good as anybody's. Zach Greinke also returned from the aisle this week. Look at my segues. <laughs> Killing it with segues. Can you, imagine, can you imagine in his prime, Zach Greinke 
coming back to this team. Oh, Ooh, that'd be nice. Well, th- that's the thing. Like, and I'll make my point before yours, Mike. Usually, I let you go first, but I feel so bad for Zach Granke having to go through this season with the Kansas City Royals. He is just does not deserve to be on a hundred and twenty loss team, and yet he might be on a hundred and twenty loss team. Gosh. Yeah. I'm hoping that he brings some stability back to the rotation, at least a little bit where we know that we're going to get a competent start when Zach Greinke shows up. I know his stuff is very hittable and I know there's going to be certain situations. Like I'm really glad he didn't pitch in that Yankees series because that could have been bad. Um, But yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to see some really competitive starts from him coming out starting this week because there's guys who, when they go out there, you don't ever feel like like Lyles today. Did no. anybody feel like that guy had a chance today? Everybody I knew. No, I, I, for the for the ten people on Threads, they they heard me put it out there. Like, there's there's no way. Like, it's not Lyles is gonna get killed today. Um, and so yeah, it, it it wasn't good, and it's good to see Zach back. You know, you want him to finish out his season. If this is his last one, you want it to be a strong one. You know. Uh, because he deserves that and, and uh, he, you know, put a, a decent cap on the end of a great career. Yeah. Uh, my first Royals related tweet of the day was hammer the over on home runs against Lyles, right? He, I think his over under on uh, earned runs today was two and a half going into the game. He went over in the first inning. And so, you know, uh, yeah, wasn't, it wasn't a great on the field. It was another real, uh, how we call it? Let's call it a dung heap of a week from the Royals this week. They went one and six, which brings their overall record to a horrific 28 and 73. When you're watching a terrible team like this, you have to sort of watch in specific ways. Mike, can you describe what you're watching for when you watch a ro- the Royals play right now? Yeah. And, and that makes it maybe even slightly more depressing. I'm looking for maturation. Okay. I'm looking for young guys to not play like young guys. This week was not that Mm-mm. that Yankee series. Wasn't that we had a lot of guys, you know, swinging in terrible situations, trying to take extra bases for no reason. It, ooh, ugh, just really bad stuff. Playing, playing balls poorly in the outfield. It, it did not look like a mature team. It looked like a team that's really young and, that's, you know, I understand it's a really young team, but we're in the second half of this season and most of those guys played last season and it's time to grow up. Okay. You've got to, got to be able to do something. Uh, you got to be able to make changes where you're not hur- actively hurting yourself out on the field. Yeah. You only get so much rope guys. We can only say that these are young guys for so long. A lot of these guys are 24, 25, 26 years old now. Eventually they're not young. You're not young anymore, right? Like Daniel Lynch, Brady Singer, they're not young anymore. Right. And so, you know, really to Brady or uh, Bobby Wood Jr. has like a hundred and some like 70 games under his belt. You know, he's not that young anymore in terms of major league baseball experience. And yet he's out there making really bad base running mistakes constantly. And it's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why can't you get through your mind? that it makes absolutely no sense for you to try and sneak take second base on your bunt when you could just stand there on first and steal second with the next pitch. You have an 85% success rate ceiling. Why are you doing that? Dumb. Just makes no sense to me. Okay. All the base running stuff just really kills me. And I put out a tweet today that said, I don't know who their base running coach is, but he should be managing a Dairy Queen in next week. Okay. That is what he should be doing. Whoever is their base running coach has failed miserably and should be fired. I'm going to come out in the record and say it. Failed miserably, should be fired. Okay? Don't know who it is. Don't care who it is. Fire him. He is awful. Okay? 
He not just a scapegoat. A lot of other guys probably need to lose their jobs too, but we'll get into that in a second. What I'm looking for when I watch bad games are traits, right? What sort of traits can be successful moving forward? What sort of traits can guys build on? What sort of things? And that's why I'm like digging on Freddie Fermin. You'll hear me praise Freddie Fermin a lot this uh this this episode because he's got traits that we can really use and can be useful at the major league level. He has a good plate appearance. He hits the ball hard. He's, you know, defends well, blocks balls well, all these sorts of things that really make him a valuable piece for the Royals. The same can be true set of other guys. Um, but I'm really interested in, in, in traits right now because I can't watch the game as a whole without wanting to throw my TV through a window. Mike, we had some strong performers despite the fact that this week was, um, well, it was like a, it was like a bloated corpse that's been floating down a river for six days. Uh, Tell us who your strong performer for the week was. Edward Olivares. I, I really uh, thought he put together a decent week. Uh, he didn't have a whole lot of plate appearances. He was uh, four for 13, a double, an RBI. Just one strikeout this week for Edward Olivares. So any week where he only strikes out one time, even if it's in 13 plate appearances, that's going to be a pretty good week for Edward Olivares. So, uh, yeah, it was good to see him come back and show that he can be healthy and uh, drive the ball still. Let's get him out there. Let's start shopping Edward Olivares, package him up with one of them relievers and get us something else to dream about. I mean, if you think about Edward Olivares plus a Scott Barlow or plus maybe even a Carlos Hernandez, um, that's valuable enough to get something in the neighborhood of a Cole Reagans. Mm-hmm. I right? think so. I definitely think so, and, honestly, because. And, and, and Reagans looks like maybe he can be something in a starting rotation. So I'll yeah. take it. Yeah, I think that's the case because people are like, you got to take into account how much the control over all of RS and a guy like Scott Barlow, who has an additional year after this one. And Hernandez has probably like three years after this. Um, that control is really valuable. And so you should be getting some decent return for something like that. My strong performer this week is Freddie Fermin. He went seven for 11, seven for 11 this week. Freddie Fermin. Friggin' awesome. Uh, two doubles, one home run, two strikeouts, one walk. He was the only reason they had any any sniff of a of a chance at any point during today's game. Uh, a guy who, Freddie Fermin is an everyday player in my lineup at this point. He There's no way he's coming out. I know everybody's sentimental about Salvi and all that. Great, you can DH a lot, Salvi. But if Salvi's not DHing, Freddie's DHing in my mind, right? Like, Freddie Fermin does not, not be in, Freddie Fermin is in the starting lineup every day for me right now. Um, cause he just, he's that good. And he's, he's one of the only productive hitters they have right now. And so his OPS is over 800 right now. Get him in that lineup. Really productive player. Love to see it for him because he's got a good story too. Quite a few weak performers this week. Uh, really tough to choose almost like picking, uh, Mike, give, give me an analogy for trying to pick a weak performer this week. Oh, it's like picking out a, uh, a fish friend at a sushi bar. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Mike, who was your weak performer for the week? Um, Scotty Barlow. Uh, he's not doing so great. Uh, and really in this this chunk of the month, uh, he's not doing very well. He went one, one and two-thirds innings this week, which isn't a lot of work for him, but he usually pitches when they're up, and they weren't ever up. Um, <laughs> six earned. What's the point of a closer? <laughs> exactly. Uh, six earned runs given up in one and two thirds innings. Big, big reason for that. Five walks to one strikeout, five walks in an inning and two thirds is really, really bad people. And, uh, yeah, there was some fielding stuff today that was very bad, but 
you know, those, not all those runs score on that crappy fielding play if the bases aren't loaded when it happens. And so, yeah, he's been, he's been not very good. Let's just say that. And I think part of that is his reluctance to throw his fastball and the fact that his fastball velocity has come down a little bit in the last couple of years. And so a um, little bit scary there, but if he's effective enough, how do I put this? And you and I were on the trade Barlow train last year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, because when you're thinking about a player like that, there's really only one way Scott Barlow could go from last year. He could only go down, right? Cause flash forward a year, he's now lost a year of control. And when he went from the performance that he was giving last year, which was very good, you, you know, it doesn't take much to see that that's the peak of Scott Barlow. That's the best he can be. Okay. Because he'll never throw a hundred. He'll never have the most devastating pitches. And so that was the peak Scott Barlow. You want to trade guys at their peak value when you're having a season like the Royals did last year. Can't do that now, but we're in the same situation. Scott Barlow is at the highest value that he will be probably ever moving forward, at least for the Royals. And so they should be getting rid of Scott Barlow. Yes, they're probably going to take a diminished return because he hasn't pitched so well, one year less of control, but it's going to be even worse a year from now. Yep. So take what you can get. I feel like you and I have said this just routinely over the last three years, right? Like trade this guy because his value is not getting any higher than it is now. We say this every single year. Does it happen? No. And it's like... (laughs) Drives me crazy. Anyway, I can't get too deep into that. We have other stuff to talk about. My week performer this week is Bobby Wood Jr. He went four for 26 with zero extra base hits, four strikeouts, zero walks. I'm happy to see that the strikeout number isn't insane. That means he's been putting the ball in play quite a bit this week. My issue is that when he's doing it, he's doing it when he's down in counts a lot. He's been getting down in counts early a lot, like 0-2, 1-2 to every single pitcher. And a lot of times it's not because he's not swinging early. It's because he's just fouling balls off early. He'll get a pitch in the strike zone, take a cut at it and foul it off. And it's like, there's that hit tool issue. You know, like I know everybody's like, oh, like I, I heard um, uh, we, we mentioned our draft coverage. Alex mentioned that the, the hit tool issues for Bobby Wichita were overblown and they were, they were overblown, but he doesn't have a, a 70 grade hit tool or anything like that. You know, he's got maybe a 55 grade hit tool, maybe a 50 grade hit tool, eh, probably 55. And that shows up in moments when he gets balls in the strike zone that you would think, oh, he should really put that in play hard and he fouls them off. And it's like, oh, so it was just a bad week for him with balls in play. I think he'll rebound. I hope he it doesn't get him out of the process that's been working for him over the last couple of months. But uh, it was not really, really great to see this week, especially in an offense that's struggling when you're, you're sort of uh, your best young hitter is a part of the struggles and not somebody who's actually trying to pull him out of it. Or he's trying, he's just not actually doing it. Uh, Mike, what was your theme for this week uh, as, as we uh, turn another uh, chapter in this uh, fairy tale season? Uh, I'm going to the 80s with uh, Give Me Something to Believe In. Ooh. That classic from the uh, hairband philosopher's poison. Um, <laughs> Royals, give me something to believe in. Anything, man, anything. Can I believe that we may have a piece or two in the starting rotation? Uh, maybe (laughs) if if Cole Reagans comes up and I can maybe get excited about that. Uh, I'm not excited about Brady Singer and his lack of progress. I'm not excited about Daniel Lynch. I'm not excited about Zach Granke who's on the end of his career. Love the guy, but no excitement there. Jordan Lyles is a train wreck. 
Um, what about you know, and we're going to talk about the offense. No, that they haven't given us much to believe to believe in either. Like, uh, yeah, I there. You know, like you said, there are people who say we're too pessimistic, but it's like, show me something. Show me something to be optimistic about. I I can't see it. <laughs> I think they have pretty nice uniforms. So yeah, so there's they that. had one of the best City Connect uniforms. Oh, they were great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's my thing theme for this week. I have a hard time imagining a Major League Baseball team could be this bad, right? Like, I know now that bad. I don't get because you were. Around, <laughs> I mean, we watched the games in in '04 and '05. Let me, and... let me let me explain. <laughs> let me first off. Those teams, this team is tracking for historic badness, right? Like they could, they're going to rival the Mets for the worst team that's ever, for the worst record of all time, right? Like, and so at least in the modern era, I think, uh, but anyway, I can like, we knew coming into this year, they weren't going to be good. We knew that I was ready and prepared for that. I even knew that they could have their 10% outcome and be pretty bad, right? I just have a hard time imagining an MLB team that could make the level of mistakes that they make. It's one thing if your players, if you just don't have any talent, this team does not have no talent. They have Salvador Perez. He's really good. Borderline Hall of Famer. They have Bobby Witt Jr., number two overall pick, immensely talented. They have a whole bunch of other guys. Brady Singer, first round pick. They have a lot of guys with a lot of talent. The problem is they make a thousand mistakes a game. I mean, that that might be hyperbole, but they make way too many mistakes in a game. And it's like, let's imagine that they cut out those mistakes and just played to their sort of potential level. They'd still be pretty bad, but at the very, they'd be a little bit better. I cannot watch these mistakes. I, ca- I had a hard time even envisioning a team being this bad, so bad that like you watch them and you're like, what are they doing? I watched Drew Waters hit today and Every hitter up to him had had like an 0-2 count to start, except for Salvi, who grounded on the first pitch. And what does he do? He comes out and he like starts swinging his, out of his shoes, swings at two pitches above the strike zone, and eventually strikes out at one of them. And it's like, I, I just, it's one of those moments where it hits you like an anvil. Like, this team is awful and they aren't learning. And it drives me crazy. Royals Weekly is brought to you by Nap Family Wealth. Mike, can you think of anything more important than securing your financial future? Uh, waiting 30 minutes after eating before swimming? No, that, that's an old wives' tale. You're an old wives' tale. <laughs> securing your financial future is one of the most important steps someone can take for themselves and their family, and Nap Family Wealth is ready to help you pursue it. This isn't some big faceless corporation we're talking about here. Nap Family Wealth is run by J.C. Knapp. He's a huge baseball fan, and he's been helping people plan for their financial futures for 20 years. He can help with retirement planning so you don't have to work until you're dead, education planning so your kids learn to read good, investment management so you can get all that money out of your mattress and get it working for you. Don't spend another day thinking you've got it all figured out because trust me, you don't. Check out Nap Family Wealth at napfamilywealth.com. That's K-N-A-P-P familywealth.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA slash SIPC. It's no secret the Royals are terrible. We've been talking, that's been the theme of the whole show. But lately, (laughs) it's one specific aspect of the team that has looked particularly bad. And we're talking about the offense here. While the starting pitching was a major concern coming into 2023, the hitting has underperformed drastically so far this year. They're 29th in weighted runs created plus as a team, 30th in on-base percentage, and 28th in slugging percentage. 
That is particularly troubling because their lineup is filled with young players the organization is counting on to be the cornerstone of their rebuild. Guys like MJ Melendez and Nick Prado and Bobby Wood Jr. We're going to talk about that today. Their offense, where it might be going, what's wrong with it right now, and all these sorts of things. Mike, answer me this simple question. What has gone wrong with this offense? That is not a simple question, though, or at least it doesn't have a simple answer. But I, when when you posed this to me, I was like, well, you know, I know their offense is bad because I watched the games, but I wanted to go look at some of the numbers. So this is kind of putting in some simpler terms than what you just put. Walk percentage, 28th in the league. K percentage, strike, they're striking out. Uh, they're tw- You might think of it as 24th in the league. So they're the sixth or seventh worst at that. Um, their ISO, a measurement of how how uh, basically their power, okay, twenty sixth in the league. For a comparison, the Braves, one of the best teams in baseball, fourteenth in walk percentage, ninth in K K rate, first in ISO. Okay, if you're like, well, yeah, but they're the Braves, you know, they we know they develop a whole lot better. Let's go to a team that hasn't been super good in the last ten years. The Baltimore Orioles. Now they're leading the AL East this year. 16th in walks, walk percentage, 12th in K uh, strikeout percentage, and 12th in ISO. So it can be done, right? This is not, this is not, and, and think about the Baltimore Orioles. Who they who they put in that lineup? Adley Rutschman. Adley Rutschman, one Anthony, big name. Anthony Cedric Sins Mullins. There. Ryan O'Hearn. Ryan O'Hearn is, is playing <laughs> regularly. Ryan okay. O'Hearn has their so highest OB, not, OPS, by the way. There you go. And so it's not like they're putting Ronald Acuna Jr. out there. Okay. They We don't hit. Sorry. We don't walk. We strike out. We don't hit for power. There you go. It's that simple. It can be that simple. Okay. We'll get to why we don't do those things here on the next question. But that's it's that simple. We don't walk. We strike out a lot. We don't hit the ball hard. Yeah. And to be clear, when he says we don't hit the ball hard, he means we don't get extra base hits. We actually do hit the ball relatively hard when we make contact, which is not often enough. Uh, But we don't uh, do it with the right launch angle. We don't do it in parks that allow the ball to leave the yard and things like that. Uh, I'm going to answer this question with two things, right? Like Vinny Pasquantino got hurt. That really hurt us as as an offense. And then everyone everybody who wasn't Vinny Pasquantino didn't progress or regressed this year offensively. So they were counting on MJ Melendez. They were counting on Bobby Wood Jr. They were counting on Nick Prado. They were counting on Michael Garcia. They were counting on all these different guys, Drew Waters and Kyle Isbell and all these Michael guys. Massey. Michael Massey. Got to take steps forward. They didn't do it, right? They And some of them took steps backward. MJ Melendez is among the worst hitters in baseball who plays every day. And, you know, that's definitely a step backward for him because he was basically a league average hitter last year. And so we're talking about a bunch of guys who cross our fingers, hoped would progress. If half of them had progressed and half of them didn't, we would have a mm, decent offense, probably in the twenties somewhere, like maybe the, maybe around 20. Right. But the fact is all of them didn't progress or regressed. Right. And that, that when that happens, your offense gets real bad real quick. And so we need to think about why that took place. Mike, are there any discernible pattern for why many of these guys are drastically underperforming this year? Yes, there is. It's because of, it's because we have a certain profile of hitter that is a product of our previous regime and the type of drafting and developing that they did. 
that type of hitter is free swinging, is aggressive at the plate, and those are bad things. Mm-hmm. Okay, people, and, and I it always makes me just cringe when I hear the f- cliche that every hitter and Royals hitters are the same way that they get out there. Well, I want to go up there and be aggressive. Wrong. You're part of the problem. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because yes, I understand when you get a pitch in your zone, your power zone, whatever you want to call it, be aggressive. Other than that, you're not aggressive. Don't be aggressive. Be passive. Stop it. Take a nap, (laughs) lay down, roll over on your belly and tell somebody to scratch you. Be passive. (laughs) (laughs) And so it, it drives me absolutely nuts, but it's a team filled with those players because the previous regime drafted and signed and all that stuff, almost exclusively those guys. Okay. And so when you see a Salvador Perez and an MJ Melendez and a, and a, you know, Nikki Lopez and all of those guys up there, just a hacking away all the time, a drew waters, whatever. That's the, those are the guys we've always gotten. It's going to take years to get guys into the lineup at the major league level who are not that way. And that'll only happen if the current regime is thinking about that. And so what, what really has to happen is you have to start developing a different kind of profile that you want in a hitter. Yeah. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later, but if you, this to me is exemplified by what I saw from the game today, where our first six, seven hitters all either got out on one pitch because they like Salvador Perez did, or started their counts down 0-2 or 1-2. All of them, right? That is not good. That is, in fact, bad, right? You do not want to start down 0-2 or 1-2. The, the outcomes for being in those counts are really, really bad. And a lot of them are strikeouts, which is why our strikeout rate is so high. A lot of them are weak contact, right? It's just, it's bad to be in that so many of those counts. But our guys are sort of and you're right to point out that right now there's something incongruous happening. We have a hitter player development team that's trying to teach a bunch of guys they would not have drafted how to be the right kind of hitter. They're trying to teach Michael Massey that he should only swing at pitches in his turbo zone, right? But that's not the type of hitter he was from age five until age 23, right? And so they're trying to undo a lot of stuff. Same with Drew Waters, same with MJ Melendez, same with a lot of these guys. They're trying to undo a lot of learning in there from coaches that told them, be aggressive up there at the plate, son. You know, like, and it's bad, right? It's just bad stuff. And so, yeah, we might be able to, if if we're talking like long shot hopes, they, Drew Saylor and Alex Zumwalt and all those guys might be able to like turn some of these guys into having halfway decent approaches at the plate. But the type of sustained long-term pipeline of guys who very first thing they're doing is trying to recognize whether or not they should swing as opposed to thinking I should swing first and then maybe adjusting there. That's going to take years to develop, right? There's just no doubt about that. Right. And, and it's got to be from a drafting and, and player acquisition point all the way through the player development, in the minors all the way into the major leagues, because this trying to do it ad hoc when they get to the major leagues does not work. Mike, we're talking pretty dark stuff here. Are there any bright spots for this lineup and this offense moving forward? Well, maybe the one bright spot will be Bobby Witt Jr. Because I think there are some tangible things that you can see in his approach that have, that have uh, improved. But like, like you kind of just mentioned or just hinted at, 
it's all trying to be done at the major league level. This is stuff that he shouldn't be in major league baseball with the approach that he has. Does that make sense? Like a lot of these guys, if they were in other organizations would not be in major league baseball until they change the approach that they have. Now the tools that they have, they play in major league baseball, the, the you know, uh, the power tool, you know, the running, all that sort of stuff, it plays, but the, you, you can't get to that stuff. If your approach isn't any good, if you're swinging at pitches that are on the edge or outside the zone, none of that matters. Okay. It doesn't matter your, if you, what your max exit velocity is when you only do it once a series, you know? Uh, and so that's, you know, that, that's gotta be done. So Bobby Witt jr. Yes. It's nice that maybe he's taken a step forward with that approach, but I would have loved to have seen that done when he was in double a, you know, when he was in triple a say, Hey, you're not coming up here until we see that you can lay off pitches that you can't do damage on. And once you see that, then he comes up. Okay. doesn't matter that you hit the shit out of, out of the ball in, in double a, that makes no difference whatsoever. We see that you're not, that you're still swinging at pitches in bad spots. You're not coming up. Okay. And so it, it, it is a little frustrating. Um, the only person I can say, and it was even rough because this year there were times Vinny Pasquantino didn't show this, but last year Vinny Pasquantino really showed what a professional developed approach looks like that teams that have success do one through nine. And the Royals had a guy that did it. I do have to disagree though. Not every, not everybody has a Vinny well, yeah, Pasquantino. I don't mean like one like, through nine. There, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you mean you don't mean what you said? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, you can't have a lineup full of any Pasquantinos, but your point is still valid. You just exaggerated it, which is that like yeah. you need to have a lineup of guys who have good approaches and even or if they maximizing their out, potential because exactly. their approach is as good exactly, as exactly right right yeah right now the royals have the exact opposite of that which is a bunch of guys who are miles from their potential because their approaches don't allow them to get there and so hopefully that ends up changing i think the bright spot right now is freddie Fermin. it looks like a bright spot to me i mentioned this on twitter but he's on pace to have a three and a half to four f4 season over a full season right now so he's like if you were to play, he's played 40 games after today's game and the numbers weren't updated. So that might actually be a little higher than this. But if you extrapolate what he's done so far in the major leagues to a full season, assuming he only plays about 135 games in a full season because he's a catcher, he's four, he's on pace for about four, three and a half to four war, which is a real, really good campaign from somebody. Not quite all-star level, but really, really solid campaign from a Fermin, especially a guy you never thought you'd get anything from. And if the Royals are going to turn this offense around any sort of quickly, they'll have to have a couple guys just come out of nowhere. Right. And really Freddie Fermin has come out of nowhere. You know, maybe Dyron Blanco is one of those guys. Don't know. Maybe Michael Garcia is not to come out of nowhere because he was a pretty well-known prospect, but who knows? Maybe Logan Porter might be some Taylor. Who knows who's going to come out of nowhere, but they need at least two guys to kind of come out of nowhere and be successful for them offensively. Hopefully for me, is one of those. I think he's a somewhat bright spot, uh, but we'll see on that. Michael Garcia, another, another guy who looks like he has some potential. Uh, I'm still like, I really want him to hit the ball a little harder. I want to see a little bit more power from him, but he's done all right for his, uh, his first year here. Mike, let's talk about the uh, fixes. Let's talk about, let's, let's solve the world's problems here. Uh, what should be done to fix this offense and this lineup moving forward? Well, I think it starts with setting a standard. You know, set the standard of this is the profile that we have for a major league baseball hitter until you meet that you're not coming to major league baseball. We'll throw more 
whether it's Dyron Blanco's or or uh, Matt Beatty's, we'll put them in there. Let them be sacrificial lambs. Let them get at bats. You're in the minors. When you meet that standard of major league hitter, you come up. And we only draft or internationally sign or trade for guys at the in the minor leagues that we feel like can fit that or get to that standard. That's how it has to be. It has to be that way, you know, it, and it's frustrating because I'd love to say, well, how do you fix it? You sign two or three free agents that know how to have approaches and you put them in important spots in your lineup and the rest of your guys, you're just okay with them never reaching their potential, but that the Royals can't do any of that. And so they it can. has to be done with a, a standard of this is what has to be met. When you meet that, you can come to major league baseball until then you're still a minor league baseball player because You'll never be successful at the major league level doing that stuff. Yeah, you're right. It has to start with player acquisition. And that is, you know, what kind of players are you looking at? And look to the draft this year. I mean, they, they got a high school catcher who people are worried about strikeout issues. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> that's not exactly a great start. Uh, you know, they had guys, options like Matt Shaw, who were guys who looked like they had a lot better approaches. We'll see. Right. We'll see on that one. Uh, but it, it has to be an, an up and down thing. It has to be from the moment you acquire them. They have to be people who fit that profile and look like they will make it to that standard. And it has to be an approach first thing, right? Like I know we have to, we can talk about like, well, there are some tools you just can't teach or train guys on. Well, the fact is we know you could train guys on bat speed, right? So we know you can train them to some degree on power, on exit velocity. Great. Find a bunch of guys who have good approach and give them the ability to hit the ball really freaking hard. Not that tough. Right. Like, and so we'll see if they end up uh, doing that. I really think that that sort of thing is the best approach to contemporary hitting development. And I just hope that the Royals learn how to get on board with that because this whole let's be aggressive stuff is just, we see the results of that. Right. Mike, this all begs the question. And I've started to hear some whispers about this. Is it time to fire Alex Zumwalt, major league hitting coach? Is it time to say, Hey, they're not listening to you or whatever your message is. It's not working. Bye-bye Alec. I don't think it is because because of what we said earlier, right? Alex Zumwalt inherited a group of hitters that are swing first, you know, aggressive second, type guys. Swing third, swing third, walk back to the dugout. That's those <laughs> their type of hitter. Swing first, swing second, are. swing third, walk slowly back to the dugout with a very sad look on your face. <laughs> um, and, and that's not his fault. He didn't, he didn't do that. Like we know he's had the ability to, to do some things with some guys, but you know, I, it's gotta, it's gotta get better. So, I mean, something has to change. We've seen maybe a small step from Bobby Witt jr. Um, it sucks because you can't get rid of the players. That's not an option. And so you, you need to change something though, because, and here's the thing, and this may be, maybe even more scary. We've seen it on the pitching side at the major league level already that there are guys who are, I don't want to say uncoachable, but who are, are are continuing to do the same thing over and over and over again. And their results are showing that, right? Are we seeing that on the hitting side now too? Like it's hard to tell, but MJ, you can't go a whole two thirds of the season like MJ Melendez did. And now I know they're making adjustments, but those, if they're making adjustments, they aren't working. So one of two things is happening. Either they're uncoachable and really aren't changing anything or they are. And those adjustments aren't working. Somebody's at fault, right? <laughs> it's gotta be the player or the coach or something. Yeah. Freaking magic. 
I mean, and so you have to analyze where is the shortcoming? Is it on the player? Does the player need to be more coachable or is the player just not good enough? Let's, I mean, that's a thing too. Um, or is the coach not getting to the players or the plan for them from the coach? Not good enough. See the thing that the thing that bothers me is that like you see a lot of these guys have big time success in the minor leagues. Some of them have even had success of somewhat at the major league levels, and then they take huge steps back. And it's like, well, we know it's in there. I mean, like we know that they have the talent, requisite talent, to be successful in some way. You don't hit three twenty in the in double A, and then you can't hit two ten at the major league level. It just doesn't happen. There's not that much of a difference. So much so that you could not in some way improve to be hit, you know, 270 at the major league level, you know, like it just, it doesn't exist. Right. And so something is, is lost in translation there. And I love that you point out the makeup of guys, like the coachability and things like that. Cause that's a big question that I want to start having about player acquisition here for the Royals. I know for a long time, they had a certain profile of player personality wise that they were interested in. And Yeah. <laughs> And it can be, uh, Mike, Mike just signaled what that, what that archetype was. And I wonder if that's still the case. I wonder if, I don't know how to describe this without sounding very mean to a certain type of person. Uh, but there, there is a certain type of, of personality type that's like, my dad paid my way through all the showcases. I had everything I ever wanted in my life. I talk like, like a good young man should talk. But then somebody starts trying to coach me and I'm super resistant to it. Right. Do you know what I'm saying, Mike? Somebody, sh- somebody's actually, oh, I've been a coach for yeah, my you entire know what I'm professional career. If you've coached, you've, I know seen, exactly you've met what you're these talking kids, about. right? If you've coached, yeah. you've met these kids. Okay. Where it's yeah. like, you, you, you give them actual criticism. Right. And they fold. Right. And they either get, they either get really uh, defensive about it or they've never had it in their life. So they don't know how to actually do any of it. It's like, yeah. Hey. I'm being really critical of you. I'm expecting you to take that criticism and go improve. And I'll even give you the plan to improve or whatever, but they can't then execute that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and yeah, some I, of it, some of it for some guys is, is mental. It's up here. You know, their confidence gets shot when I, when a coach is really critical of them. Um, but you know, I, again, I don't know any of the answers here. I, I don't wish either. I did. Um, I would like yeah, to see them good. think about like how they, measure makeup in a player because I got to tell you, I, I, I just, it, this is all vibes we're talking about here, but just seeing the players that they've drafted, hearing them talk and hearing, sort seeing sort of what we've seen from players and things like that. Like, I think they might be judging makeup the wrong way. Uh, if, if that makes sense, I know that they did previously because, or well, I shouldn't say that I highly suspect that they did previously based on some of the comments from Dayton Moore and things like that. I want to know, just as a curiosity, what makes them think that a player has good makeup? What are the markers that they see that? Sorry, you got me off on a little bit of a tangent there. Let's let's do our last question to wrap up this segment, and then we'll uh, we'll move on. Mike, who in this lineup, the 2023 Kansas City Royals in all their glory, who do you think will be a piece of the next competitive Royals team? Okay, this is kind of a weird question because – and I'll get into that here in a second. So here are the guys that I think might be a part of this next competitive Royals team. Vinny Pasquantino, who's not currently in the lineup, but I threw him in there. Bobby Witt Jr., Michael Garcia. Okay. Now the messed up thing is this. If it's just those three guys, the next competitive Royals team might not actually be when those three guys are here. (laughs) So you see what I'm saying? 
it's going to take more than those three guys, right? Mm-hmm. But the Royals right now at this point don't really, in my estimation, don't have those any more than those three guys. Like I'm not sold on Nick Prado that in three years, he's going to be hit a contributing offensive piece for the Kansas city Royals major league club. I'm not sold on drew waters for that. I'm not sold on anybody else on the team, except for maybe those three guys. And that's even still a maybe. Okay. Well, if they only have those three guys, that team's not going to be competitive. If only those three guys, if those are the only three guys you have, we're going to waste all of their years of control and they'll be gone and we'll be not competitive the whole time they're here. So I could have answered this answer, not incomplete or can't answer because or none I'm not of them. entirely sure. None <laughs> of them. It's zero. It, the answer might be zero because we might spend Vinny and Bobby's entire term here and never be competitive. Yeah. Cause remember it's not just the offense either. They still have miles to go on the, in the rotation as well. Yeah. And the so, open. And so I'll add Freddie for to that list because I think he'll be a contributing piece no matter what. And in fact, it would not surprise me at this point if he is the heir apparent to Salvador Perez, but I'm also going to add drew waters because I have a sense that he will develop to the point where he can be a piece in the lineup. Uh, I don't ever think he'll be better than 110 weighted runs created plus because I think the strikeout issue can only be solved to a certain extent. But I think he'll get to the point where that strikeout rate is 25 to 30 percent rather than 35 to 40 percent, which it currently is or what close to 35 percent at least. And so I think eventually he'll get there with his defense. He'll also be a valuable piece somewhere. Other than that, I don't. I don't know. I don't know where anybody's coming from. I don't know where, where you're getting guys, right? Like they're hoping that guys like maybe Nick Lofton or some odd Taylor pan out, um, you know, maybe Tyler Gentry, Gentry finds maybe. It or John Rave finds something and you know, can, can do some stuff. You know, it's, it's pretty barren hitter wise in the top. You gotta go levels. down to Caden Wallace, Caden like, Wallace at, at high a right now, but even he is yeah, not that's... like lighting the world on fire. And so we, we worried that, the pitching covered was bare coming into this year. All of a sudden the pitching player development turns on a, a fire and guys start looking a lot better. Now we're worried that the cupboard might be bare for hitters. And what's funny is that cupboard extends to the major league level. Uh, also might be yeah, bare for well, hitters. And I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I still think the, the arms in, in the minors. And I've said this so many times now it's, it's getting annoying. The talent level in our entire system is low. It's down. It's not good enough. Yes. And I'll, honestly, this draft, yeah, it helped. I mean, there's guys that I like, you know, um, Rockefort will, will add some instant talent to the, the thing, you know, uh, what's the kid from Missouri state Nivens, mm-hmm. he'll add some, some talent, you know, but, and you know, Blake Mitchell and those guys will add talent, but you're not, there's no guarantees from this draft. You're not going, Oh, yep. Just gave our, an injection of talent to our minor league system because I don't know that people really feel that that's the case. <laughs> and so, like you said, the industry standard was that the Royals took some really risky shit, which can be completely wrong. Mm. But as of right now, you have to look at it as, you know, it's still really risky. So yeah. Uh, look, the next competitive Royals team may be many years away. Luckily the Royals get a little break this week. And, and by that, I mean, they get to play a full week of games against the AL central. Uh, they'll spend <laughs> three days in Cleveland facing off against the guardians before coming home for a three gamer against the Minnesota twins. There's a day off in between those two series. Mike, tell us about the boys from believe land as, as Riggs calls it. 
the 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 Believeland Guardians are uh, forty nine and fifty, which is good enough for second in the AL Central. Uh, you know, offense led by Jose Ramirez, great uh, great hitter. Uh, they got the Naylor Naylor brothers as well. Um, who else they got besides that? Anybody offensively? They got Stephen Kwan, Rosario still no, Kwan. No, anybody to, to worry about? No. Yeah. Um, some some decent pitchers though. So in the first game it'll be uh, uh, Ryan Yarbrough versus Logan Allen, twenty four year old lefty out of uh, FIU, Florida International, three point two one ERA and a one point three seven WHIP. Uh, fastball in the low nineties. Uh, sweeper, changeup, cutter. Throws all of the a variety of pitches well and mixes them up really well. We saw him, I believe, the last time we played against uh, Cleveland, if I'm not mistaken, or it's two hard. times ago. It might be two times ago. We we played them a bunch in like a little cluster there, so it okay. might be two times. I know ago. we saw them in one of those. I think I think it was the last game of the series, and then they actually sent him down. I believe, right? If I'm not and, mistaken, and they have since short, brought him back short up. stretch. Um, in that second game, it'll be Zach Granke versus Aaron Savali, 28 year old right handed pitcher out of Northeastern. 2.71 ERA. He's been very good. 1.08 whip, a cutter, a curveball, a sinker, a four seamer in the low nineties, a slider, a split finger mixes his pitch up a bunch, nothing thrown over uh, 40%. So those, those first two games will be tough matchups. Uh, and that third game will be Alec Marsh against, we do not know. There is not an announced starter for Cleveland for that third game, but hopefully we can see Alec Marsh continue to improve. We didn't get to talk about his start uh, in this week's episode really, but some issues locating the fastball again, uh, which led to some home runs. So hopefully he can keep the ball, his fastball up, which I've been like, why doesn't he throw that thing up more? Um, hopefully he can avoid the home run. That's the the big deal for him. So after the trip to believe land, they'll head home for a three gamer against Minnesota. They're 52 and 48, which is first, which is good enough for first in the AL central would be dead last in the AL East. Uh, they are, uh, Minnesota is an interesting team. They're getting an amazing season out of Edward Julian, a second baseman who I think is a rookie for them. He's having a hell of a rookie year hitting 310 as a batting average, 390 as an on base and 551 as a slugging. Oh my world for any rookie who came up and did that for the Royals. Uh, but that's in 183 <laughs> plate appearance so far. You know, they got, they got some good other guys too, but, uh, offense, a lot of, uh, average hitters right now, even guys like Buxton aren't really killing it. Kill Kirilov's having a good year. Uh, but everybody else more than more like average. Uh, the thing that really drives them is a great pitching staff led by Joe Ryan, Sonny Gray, Pablo Lopez, Bailey Obers having a decent year this year. Um, yeah, they're just uh, really talented in that rotation. And so, yeah, going to be a tough series against the Twins. They're actually a pretty, pretty decent team. I don't even think they've gotten to where as good as they can be this year. So we'll see. We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with our Just A Bit Outside segment where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball. Mike, it was a hell of a week. Tell me <laughs> what is interesting to you outside the world of baseball. And it better not be football because I'm tired of training camp videos already. Go. Well, I, I was going to. Okay, then I'll talk about beating you so badly in golf. You were basically crying yesterday. How about that? <laughs> uh, just just kicked Mark's ass up and down a golf course yesterday. It was beautiful. Mike played quite well. I fell apart on the back nine. Mike played quite well, though, although he was killed by the other guy we were playing. <laughs> I, I'd say used well, to be he, a he was pro. a college golfer. So, and yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. Used to be a golf pro. Um, I will say this, though. I, I told my wife, I was explaining to her, like, it's one of those rounds where it's kind of the opposite of what I normally do. I shot not that great. I didn't feel like I was shooting that great, but scored really well. Usually it's the opposite of that. Um, but no, I'm talking about football season, man. You can't stop me from doing that. But it's a little bit of a unique 
uh, aspect for football season. So I'm kind of excited about football season starting. I'm not excited that, you know, a bunch of our loyal listeners are going to scurry away to go listen to football podcasts, but that's okay. I don't blame you. I don't Um, either. (laughs) uh, I'm excited because I am not coaching football for the first time in 11 years. And so um, it's weird. I thought I might miss it really bad around this time of year because this would be the time we're getting into camp and we're getting into, you know, what our team's going to look like for the year and that sort of stuff. Um, But I'm not missing it at all. Like I'm not missing it even a little bit. I'm really excited for the fan aspect of football because I haven't, you know, I haven't gotten to watch a whole lot of college football because by the time I do a whole week of practice and games and all that stuff, I'm so tired of thinking about football. I don't want to watch it. Now I watch the chiefs games on Sundays always. Um, but I'm excited to be a fan of football again and not a football coach for at least a little while. And so that's really what I'm looking forward to as football season opens up. I want to consume some football content. I want to think about the bets that you and I are going to, uh, going to make. I want to think about, uh, I want to, I want to go catch a high school game on a Friday night and not have to worry about whatever my duties were as a coach. You know, um, I'm really looking forward to that and, and not the, not being at practice every day and, and the, the time away from my family just to be a football fan again, I'm really excited for. I'm excited that for that for you. I'm going to miss coaching. I coached last year with you. We we basically just built a hell of a, a program there in one year. Uh, <laughs> but we'll see. Uh, you know, hopefully I don't miss it too much. I'm talking about sports related thing too. And that is women's world cup. It's women's yeah. world cup time. I'm very, very excited. Uh, the U.S. National, women's national team had their first game the other night, a 3-0 victory over Vietnam. But, you know, the thing I'm excited about is that you watch these games and you realize that the talent level, the level of organization, the resources devoted to the women's game have increased just drastically over the last decade. So you and I probably, or at least I, started following the Women's World Cup all the way back in 2011, I would imagine, the U.S. Women's National Team. The first memory I have of really watching women's soccer and the thing that got me really, really hooked was Rapino to Wambach in that Brazil semifinal a number of years ago, what is often called the greatest goal in Women's World Cup history. And since then, the growth of the women's game has just been incredible. And so you're seeing a high level of talented teams out there really competing. And, and It's interesting because this year, the U.S. women's national team is going for something no other national team, men's or women's, has ever accomplished in the history of of international soccer, and that is a three-peat in the World Cup. They won in 2015, they won in 2019, and they're trying to win again this year. But the interesting thing about it is it's going to be even harder because so many other national teams have sunk resources into growing the game for the women that they're getting a lot better as teams. Spain has gotten infinitely better. Portugal has gotten better. A number of uh, Southeast Asian teams have gotten a lot better. And so you're seeing just this level of competition rise and the quality of, of play and sides that get to play together, uh, just getting so much better and better all the time. And the technology is getting better. So they have a uh, video assistant referee at the women's world cup this year and all this stuff. I'm very excited to listen and, or to watch all these U uh, S women's national team games and catch games from other teams as well. And so I highly encourage you, if you haven't ever experienced the uh, world of women's international soccer, no better time than right now, so many great games going on every single day. I absolutely love the World Cup, whether it's women's or men's. But the Women's World Cup to me is uh, a level, to, a, a chance to be extra excited for a team that has a chance to win a, a, the highest honor <laughs> as opposed to the team I follow every day, which doesn't have a chance to win friggin' anything. 
And so good <laughs> luck to the U.S. women's national team. I really, really have my fingers crossed for them. Uh, all of you, I have my fingers crossed. I'm praying for all of you out there, too, if you're a Royals fan. <laughs> uh, just, just hang in there, guys. Hang in there. We'll be back next week hanging in there with you. Until then, be good to each other. And go Royals. <laughs>